listening to the Testudo Times Podcast, the official podcast of SB Nation's Maryland Terrapins Colossus. Welcome to episode 154 of the Testudo Times podcast, where I'm happy to inform you that Thomas and I have yet to hire an agent. But we could! I'm strongly considering it. I'm strongly considering it, too. You would be surprised to know that I haven't strongly considered it, even though I've probably needed one in the last three years of soul-crushing unemployment. Yeah, it would, it, it, I feel like it would help if we could afford to pay them, but that's the trick. Yeah, journal. Did you see that tweet from journalists earlier today? Uh, oh, my about- goodness. That was that was that was high quality level terrible tweeting right there. Goodness. I mean, okay, if you don't know what tweet we're talking about, I have to mention it because it, it's just so bad. Um, take your standard sports writer that earns 150k per year. I mean, seriously, what sports writer earns 150k per year? If you know one, please. And call even him. that was to be like, oh, that's nothing compared to what athletes make, that's which is like to what sure. Athletes make, but that's but... nothing compared to what actual journalists make. So I mean. Like, I mean, what journalist are we talking about? If it's Jake Tapper, maybe, but that's not a sports journalist. Yeah, so, like, the – there are, you know, really high-level, like, experienced sports journalists that make, you know, six figures and a few make seven. But I think Stephen A. Smith might have might be making eight now. He's but... not a journalist. No, exactly. He's he's an entertainer at this point. He's not that's, an that's the thing is that, like, people who do what we do professionally – don't sniff 150k you know i don't even think writers at the athletic make that much money and they seem to have the best business model yeah they don't no well obviously but maybe some of maybe some of them who have like a couple jobs like the ken rosenthal's who have the athletic and fox and the mlb net like those people might be close it's possible but it's not that's the sum of their money yeah and that's also like top end insider who's been doing this for decades yeah I, I again surprise surprise people don't actually know how the journalism and media industry works apparently they also oh, yeah. don't know how history works either but we don't have to get into that in the show let's focus now on uh, what we should be talking about which is uh the fact that anthony cowan and bruno fernando think they're about to make a lot of money or at least one of them does uh they both declared for the draft they both hired agents the process has changed so dramatically in the last couple of years that i can't barely pick it up anymore because now you can apparently hire an agent, and it does not mean you're automatically entered into the draft. And you can't go back to school. Things you learn yeah. every day. Yeah. So, you know, I, I kind of was confused. I've, you know, kind of figured it out the last couple of weeks. Um, I was originally under the impression that you could only you could only declare twice, and I had no reason to believe anything other than that. With how the Mellow Trimble and Justin Jackson. Uh, sort of processes went where the second time they declared they were just gone um but bruno fernando declared this past you know on monday and signed an agent but he can come back and that's interesting like he's still probably gone but he can come back anthony cowan hired an agent so a bit of a surprise but he can come back and he probably will i think that the dynamic of it is not really a surprise for Fernando because we all knew it's kind of going to be gone. But obviously there is still the out just in case like the combine goes really badly. But then again, I don't think that because he's probably still a first round pick. Because once you get to the back end of the first round of the NBA draft, teams can take whoever they want and the board becomes more wide open. 
Cowan was a surprise because we all assume he's going to return to school, but his explanation was uh, interesting for it. And, I mean, when you think about it the way he thinks about it, it's pretty obvious, but you didn't think of that initially when you saw the news, did you? Yeah, I had actually, like, heard some rumors that he might do it, and I knew that there would be people that reacted, like, in shock, especially the people who hadn't, fig- you know, weren't up to speed with the rule changes. Because if you see that Anthony Cowan, who, you know, a really solid player, but, you know, has never really been on the NBA radar to this point, um, mostly because of size, and he hasn't been a super efficient shooter or anything um so to see that if you saw that like he declared and signed an agent i can totally see you being like stunned by it but especially when you see his quote which is in essence you know with one year left i'm going to you know be a value you know i'm gonna get my game evaluated and figure out what i need to do um figure out what my options might be post-graduation and that's that's smart and, you know, the, the way you can read into that quote, and I think it probably is most likely that he is just using it to get his game evaluated and then he'll come back and uh, work on what they tell him to work on. And this is not necessarily in an NBA context. It's very much, you know, is it G League? Is it, you know, overseas, Greece, Turkey, any number of leagues, Spain? You know, there are a lot of places where you can play professionally, even if he's not going to be playing in the NBA. And most of us don't think he's got an NBA game, but it makes sense. And now that you have essentially quote-unquote, a free space to go into the draft to get your game evaluated. You could basically do whatever you want. And now at this point, it'd be silly if you didn't declare for the draft, even though it now means that the entirety of college basketball is declaring for the NBA draft because this process doesn't make sense. Yeah, so it's one of those, like, even now, this year they have a new, it's like a smaller combine hosted by the G League um, that has players not invited to the NBA combine. And someone like Cowan, who, you know, isn't on draft boards and, probably won't get a combine invite he might be able to get invited to that and get his game evaluated there and he'll also get uh some evaluations just throughout the process and he'll be able to work with an agent and um work with the maryland coaching staff and just sort of get a sense of where his game is and where it could be so i think you know especially when when you see that cowan declares it is kind of surprising in retrospect that that jalen smith didn't declare and when we talked about this last time, I think it is, it is the kind of thing where if you just feel like you're not ready and you don't want to go through this process, especially if you're someone like Smith who has a, a, at least a fringe chance of, you know, Smith would probably be drafted if he entered. So it would, you know, there it is tempting and it would be kind of this unclear, this, this uncertainty for months, you know, a month and a half, two months. And I think it's totally reasonable to just not want that, especially at at his age. He's still just 18. And I think also now that you have the ability to do a lot of things you didn't have a chance to do before, it makes declaring less needed in many ways, even though I just said basically everybody in college basketball is declaring for the draft, even though they have no chance of being drafted, like Kyle Guy, for instance. He ain't getting drafted this year. But, I mean, it doesn't hurt. But there are going to be players who obviously are going to come back to school at this point but also you look at Jalen Smith and you go like, maybe I don't want to do that. Maybe it's too much too soon and I'm not ready for it and I'm not mature enough to take uh, control of that process after next year I might be. 
that's where the dynamic comes in, I think. But it, it just seems so strange that we see a lot of players that are lower on draft boards, not even on draft boards, declare, and then Jalen Smith isn't. He's kind of the oddity now. He's the exception rather than the rule. And that I would not have ever expected when I started covering Maryland sports and covering these drafts. Yeah, I mean, that that that, that was a little bit of a surprise, especially with just how much Maryland has had to, you know, sweat through these the last couple of weeks of that, you know, the withdrawal deadline and everything. Uh, each of the last three years they've had to wait and – They've gotten someone back in last year for the first time. They had someone leave at the very end. So they still had someone come back too. And yeah, so so they had both last year. But I, it also again it ascribes so much to the rule, which is so stupid. You know, like we shouldn't have to even deal with this. But to talk about the rules and draft eligibility and all sorts of things can be a discussion for another time. May 29th is the deadline. Um, you can, I mean, now again, as I said, you can hire an agent and then drop the agent which, again, I don't know why that's now allowed. I guess it was one of the things that came out of the college basketball scandals, which is where I assume this came from. Yeah, they had, a, they had the, this special commission on college basketball that really didn't actually propose any big changes. Uh, but this was one of the like little changes that they proposed, and it sounds like it just went through. Yeah, I would assume that... This was that Condoleezza Rice committee? Oh, it was a, yeah, like the, the, uh, the rubber stamp committee. Yes. With the little changes that make it seem like they're making big changes when they actually aren't. Yeah. I mean, it, it's still a circus, but, I mean, like, the, the combine just in general, like, you see the number of players declaring, you're going like, wait, huh? Them? Really? And then you go on and you learn more about it, and you go, okay, I get, I get it now. And for most of them, they got nothing to lose. So we will see what ends up happening. My favorite, my favorite was Nogel Eastern last year, who averaged, like, two points a game as a freshman and got – really mocked and I don't I don't know how much of it is like he just had you know had to get an expanded role because of, you know Purdue lost four starters last year uh versus Matt Painter's a really good coach versus like he got his game evaluated and he got a chance to learn some things Nojel Eastern was a really really good two-way player for Purdue last year and he should be for the next couple of years different telling you about your game absolutely I mean, that's really what this is it's neutral evaluators telling you you're good at this you're bad at this fix that improve hair you know, I don't know if it actually happened, but one year I think Calipari said his entire team was going to declare. <laughs> With him, I would walk-ons included. Walk-ons included. Yeah, that would have been funny. I think, that, like, I don't remember if it actually happened, but I know oh, he said it. It should have happened. It should have happened. Can you imagine? Well. Oh yeah, I mean, I'm I'm so here to uh, evaluate Reese Mona right now. Uh huh. So we will, of course, keep you updated here at Testudo Times about all of the news basketball when the process continues to go on what's going to happen at the combine when if some of these players come back and if any new players come in we will definitely of course let you know there's also football news as we were recording this uh or just about to record this the mike loxley bat signal appeared on twitter and that sent everyone into a frenzy including us two who postponed the podcast recording to see what was happening we don't know a ton about what that happens and what that might mean but when the bat signal comes up everybody goes like to your battle stations, you know, because when you see that appear on Twitter, you go, oh, okay, better be ready for something. Yeah, so this is one where, like, you know, we saw the bat signal, and as we're recording this, uh, there hasn't been anything really reported. Uh, the kid hasn't announced it. We have, I think, you know, we're pretty sure we know who it is, um, and it would be a decent addition. Um, 
you know, we're not at a point where I can just go on this podcast and say who it is. Yes, but we are at a point where it's been reported widely enough into some place that we could give you general information on said player. Uh, yes. He, he is the second commitment news of the week because there was one that did officially commit. Yeah, so a wide receiver, uh, I believe his name is Corey Deitches from Potomac. So another local kid. Uh, that's that's two local kids out of two commits for 2020. Um, first player on the offensive side of the ball. Wide receiver, Maryland at, at this point has a lot of those, but you know you, you do still want a couple in every class. And uh, I, don't, I don't know exactly how many Maryland plans to take in 2020, but... You know, he, I think he seems like a pretty solid addition and, you know, he'll be able to beef up his frame as well if he needs to. I think he's 6'1", 190 right now. Um, he he does look promising as all recruits do on their highlight tapes. So, you know, it's a pretty standard, you know, optimism for the future on that one. Well, Maryland has done a good job in recent years of taking three-star players and making them much better than their recruiting rankings. And that's what Maryland's got to be good at, even though, as we have said, repeatedly on this show the 2020 class in the dmv is so ridiculously good and obviously there's going to be a lot more news on that coming down the line but not yet uh we are also a couple like 10 days away from the spring game any other football news that we should know about i mean there really isn't much i mean they they scrimmaged for the first time on saturday uh media weren't allowed to actually watch the scrimmage so we don't really have a sense of who was on what team um one thing that's interesting is, is though, that neither of the quarterbacks have really separated themselves, like Loxley says. So, like, meaning Tyrell Pigram is not much far ahead, if at all, uh, of Max Bortenschlager right now, which is somewhat concerning because yeah, I was some people thought Pigram well. would be really competing for a starting job. Well, what and, it means is that it means Josh Jackson might have the inside start. Yeah, and he's not even here yet. That that's He's what still that in Blacksburg, Virginia. Be. Yeah, so that's uh, I mean that that's just worth keeping an eye on. It's still so far away. You know, Jackson's not here yet. Lance Lejean's not here yet. Um, you know, really throughout the roster, just oh, you know, there are still some newcomers who will be able to impact, um, you know, positional battles. But you know, the staff is still kind of just getting a sense of you know, who's going to be where. And I don't think there have been a ton of big surprises in, you know, just around yet. Hey, yes, as you said, the spring game is next weekend while uh, you're all probably watching the back end of the NFL draft, possibly. Uh, it's also on Maryland Day, so that's always fun. So that's your extension of your football news. We also have a departure from women's basketball, apparently, but might not be of a necessarily um, Destiny's Slocum level of uh, departure impact, but we should talk about it briefly. Yeah, so this had been somewhat in the rumbles, and we actually just found out from the team awards banquet is that Sarah Myers is transferring out. Um, Sarah Myers, part of the top-ranked class of 2016, um, she is leaving as a grad transfer. She she graduated in three years, but that's now, I believe, three players from class of 2016 that didn't uh, finish out eligibility. That leaves Kyla Charles, Blair Watson, Stephanie Jones, um, Destiny Slocum, and Jenna Stady were actually, I think, the t two highest rated players in the class. Um, they transferred after one season. 
uh, Sarah Myers is going to, you know, she's been into the bench really her whole Maryland career. And I think what this is, is a chance to, you know, get a, get a real role somewhere uh, next season. So, you know, I think Brenda freeze has had just entirely good things to say about Sarah over the years. And um, she's been really pleasant to talk to whenever uh, we've come across each other. So, you know, on the, on this podcast, I'll say best of luck there. Okay. Not hugely impactful news, but still news nonetheless. And now we go to spring sports and the mixed bag of good and bad. So what would you like to start with? We'll start with good. We'll start with lacrosse. Uh, we'll start with women's lacrosse. They had just a really wild game on Thursday. Um, by the time you're listening to this, that I, I have actually a story about that game that will probably be on the site. Uh, they started outside in a top five matchup against Northwestern. Um, Northwestern's got, you know, a stadium that's right on Lake Michigan. Uh, it's really nice when it's warm out and it's, it's not usually warm out for most of lacrosse season because season starts in February and March. Um, they actually played their first few games. Yeah. Now it's April, but the, uh, they have this new field house from a couple of years ago that actually they played their first few games in. And they started this game outside because that's where the Big Ten Network can shoot a game from. They can't really televise a game from in the field house. But when a weather delay, um, you know, storms in the area stopped the game midway through the second half in a 12-12 game, they decided to move it inside. And so it was a 45-minute weather delay or so. And, you know, this, the, the field house is right by that stadium. And so when the teams came back, Maryland women's lacrosse is uh, periscoping the game, and that's the only way to watch it. And the Terps, you know, came out kind of firing after, uh, after the, the restart and ended up winning. They're still undefeated with two games left in the regular season. That's bizarre. I've I've never seen anything like that. I mean, neither I, has Kathy Reese, and Kathy Reese has seen a lot. See, like I've seen lacrosse games canceled because it was too cold out. That was men's lacrosse the year that I covered them. But I've never seen a game move from outside to inside. Like I guess Maryland could do that too if they wanted to play in cold. But I don't even think would the field be big enough to play in cold. I don't even know if it's possible. Yeah. So this was one. Um, the men's team played at Notre Dame, and I think we talked about this on our podcast is that that was a game that was originally going to be outside, but they had moved inside because of how cold it was. Um, but that like, they had the right lines on it. Like, I don't think as of right now, they don't have like lacrosse lines on Cole field house. I think that um, they would be able to do that, but you couldn't do it on like, yeah, you would kind of have to plan for it. And this was one where they, they set the field up for a game and moved fans inside and the locker rooms are in that same building. So it, it wasn't, you know, even as it was even a shorter walk, I think, than it would have been to the stadium. But that's crazy. That's and you wouldn't it is wild anywhere right? else. No, I mean, I think it, it does kind of make me think because I actually, you know, talking to Kathy Reese about it, the it, it, it's, it's kind of like just distance wise and logistics wise. If you moved a lacrosse game to Coalfield House. Except in the middle of a game in that's tied in the second half between two top five teams fighting for first place in the Big Ten. It, yeah. It's so wild. 
I mean, that's the bizarre part. But I mean, just the playing a game inside. I mean, they they could do that if they had to, but they'd have to prepare for it. Yeah, this is kind of the terrible idea. But they're not gonna. But I don't think the Maryland lacrosse fans would be, you know, okay with them playing a game in cold. There's not exactly a place to sit to watch it in cold, though. Well, cold does have a balcony, but it's not nearly as good, and that's why, you know, and it it obviously can't fit a ton of people. That's why they don't. That's why they don't do it. Um, this is true, but I, I mean, feel like in the future yeah. they could if they had to. And the fact that we've seen both men's and women's games on the road this year kind of have sort of extreme circumstances force games inside. Lacrosse you know, season should not start in February. How about that? I mean, you're not entirely wrong, but hey, <laughs> happens. The NCAA doesn't listen to any of my suggestions. They're, I mean, they're able to – starting in February is how you end on Memorial Day. And ending on Memorial Day sounds about right. Yeah, but since the college baseball season doesn't end until the end of June, I mean, I think they could get away with it. I know Maybe. that Memorial Day weekend is cool. I've covered a Memorial Day weekend, the, the men's tournament, a couple of years ago. And that's awesome. It's a great tradition. But you're starting the season in February. And most of the schools that play lacrosse – they're not in the South. So it's going to be very, very cold. Yeah, it, it, it is sort of an interesting thing, but I, I, I don't know. I think people are – they deal with it at least for now. They do, but, I mean, more schools now have indoor facilities that I guess could be retrofitted to do something in a pinch instead of postponing games until, you know, whenever it is and jamming the schedule up. But I don't know. That's bizarre, but Maryland is still undefeated, and they're still leading the Big Ten, and they're probably going to win it because I don't know who their last two teams are, but they're not as good as Northwestern. No, Northwestern's number five. Johns Hopkins is not ranked. That's their last game. That's on Maryland Day. That's part of a double, a triple header. It's the spring game, and then later in the afternoon, women's lacrosse against Johns Hopkins, and then at night, men's lacrosse against Johns that's Hopkins. Great so that's a way of doing it. That is. That should be done every year when they don't end the season on the road in Baltimore against them. Yeah, I mean, especially this year with uh, the women's team playing every game in Maryland Stadium. I, I still it, think it makes so much sense. Year. Like, you do a doubleheader with the men's and women's single admission, all at Maryland Stadium, and everybody would love it. I mean, it's not the lacrosse rivalry in the women's game, but it is in the men's game. So, if you make it back-to-back, it, I don't know why you wouldn't do that, now that you think about it. It's a great Yeah, I, I'm, I'm super interested to see, especially how um, attendance turns out for the women's game, because... Men's game, as long as the weather's good, should be fantastic. Oh, it could be hugely full. Yeah. By the way, Maryland Stadium will never look full for a lacrosse game, but it'll be well, also a good crowd. Watched men's lacrosse games. We'll get to men's lacrosse games in a, in a second. If you watch it, the camera's on the other sideline, not where the camera normally is for football. So it just looks weird, and they do that because the stadium is mostly empty. Well, but they do that because they put the fans line. on one side. They put all the fans on one side. This is true. I don't know why. I, I know why they do it there. Also, that's the part that's in the shade if it does end up getting hot. But it still looks weird because you're so oriented to see the camera viewing Maryland Stadium one way and then it's the other way. Yeah. And so and also just on that angle, a the Maryland at midfield slash like all the way to the 40s is backwards and there's like construction in the background. It's so odd. But, hey, you know what? It works. To get lacrosse yeah, it's a, yeah, it's either that or it shows empty seats. And well, I think Maryland well, would rather exactly show the construction. We're talking about, you know, Kansas football here. We're talking, I mean, I, I understand why they do it, but still it's kind of weird. 
whatever the case yeah. may be. There's been a lot of talk about weird lacrosse things. How about uh, the men just, again, they, they win. They're not doing it convincingly, but they're winning. They Yeah, I mean, they've picked up some really convincing, unconvincing wins um, just throughout the season. Spectacularly unspectacular. Yeah, I mean, in, in particular, Ruck, Rutgers was a game not emblematic of the season because they've started well and they haven't been a great fourth quarter team. But in this game, you know, they, they started really poorly for most of the first half and they made it, they were down 9-4. Um, they made it somewhat of a game. They, they made it 9-6 by halftime and then took the lead in the third quarter and pulled away in the fourth. Um, and Rutgers is a good team too. Rutgers, they're 19th in the country and like second worst in the Big Ten. Um, isn't, that, isn't that great? Yeah, that's just how loaded the league has become. I, mean, we, we, I think we talked about this on the last podcast, too, is just that the Big Ten right now is six teams. It's the two super-storied Maryland schools, three schools that can put money into anything they feel like, and Rutgers. And Rutgers is actually good at lacrosse. Yep. So that that's what's so funny about it. And on the men's side, it is uh, Ohio State and Hopkins to end the regular season for the women's team. It's at Georgetown and against Hopkins. Yeah, by the way, um, that Georgetown game is on FS1, so. Yeah, it'll be their second FS1 game of the year. They had one against uh, Princeton a couple weeks ago. Our friend in, and mine, well, our friend and yours, Scott Sudikoff, a Maryland alum. Don't be biased, Scott, when you're calling the game. We know you want to be. Yeah, good luck. Good luck with... Uh... He's called a billion of these games. Yeah, he, yeah. He is. he'll be, he'll be if, you know him, if you know him, I know him very well. He's a friend, and I, I'm assuming some of you know him. Uh, he calls a lot across, so this is doing it in his sleep. Yeah, he'll be fine. I know, but he, and he's called Maryland games, but, you know, like, even, even me, like, I, when I did Maryland women's soccer at another school, I was like, oh, I gotta try to not be biased here, because I, I am a Maryland guy, so... It is a thing that comes in your head. Like, I, I would... I always go over my head, like, do I want to call Maryland games for a neutral audience? I was like, I don't know if I could do that. Obviously, if the Maryland network ever came up and I could get that out, I would, but that's a discussion for another day. So, Ohio State and Johns Hopkins should be beatable for the men. Uh, they'll probably go in as the two-seed of the Big Ten tournament, which means they won't host it. unless they, they rotate the host now. I thought that it was a higher seed, but I think that's changed now. But uh... Yeah, they... Yeah, it's four teams that make it, and I think they just have it at, at one place. Yeah, they rotate it now. I, I always used to think that not higher seed as in, like, one goes to four goes to one and three goes to two. Mm -hmm. It was like whoever had the highest seed hosted the tournament. Which yeah, I think it might have used, used to be to that. Be. But it isn't anymore. Yeah, but in either case, like, you know, it's still it's still close, and Maryland still needs to win these games. Um, you know, Penn State, I believe, is still undefeated. And so they're kind of in control because they've beaten Maryland. Mm -hmm. And even if they lose once, they'll, they should have tiebreaker. But, um, yeah, I mean, Maryland can do a lot of help to itself by, by winning down the stretch, obviously. Well, now we go to the not-so-great spring sports. Well, I mean, baseball still took two out of three at Northwestern over the weekend, which is good. Um, lost 14 to one at home to James Madison the day we record this. That is bad. So that is what we call not good. That would be hashtag not good. Okay. 
Okay, uh, another fun college sports thing. JMU's bus showed up at four o'clock for a four o'clock game. It actually so they started it at four fifteen, and James Madison then put up a five spot and held Maryland to three hits in the game. So wait, they had no warm up. They had like five ten minutes of warm up. That's hilarious. Yeah, it's not a great look for Maryland. No, it's like no. they rolled off the bus and just curb stomped them. That's how it feels like in most football games. Maryland could show up no matter any time, and then they'll get curb stomped anyway. Like it felt like some of the years that when Maryland was getting blown out like sixty to three, you know, you'd feel like a team rolled off the bus and then they just started playing, and there you go. Uh, that's not good. But there's still, I mean, what? How many teams make the Big Ten tournament? Eight, I think. Yeah, eight, and Maryland's still in the running for it. You know, still over five hundred in Big Ten play. So today's loss didn't do anything yeah, to that. Yeah, conference baseball doesn't mean a whole lot. It means stuff for RPI if you're in uh, the mix for the tournament, and Maryland right now is not. Yeah, I, so, I guess. Like, Maryland would have needed to do a lot more winning in these games uh, the last few weeks, in the midweeks, to, to have a chance. But Unless as they somehow miraculously win the Big Ten tournament. Yeah, which, you know, who the hell knows? Uh, I, I, I don't know. Maybe they do. I, I'm not quite sure. Uh, softball, how, how's that going along? They still haven't won a Big Ten series. They, they're not horrible. I mean, they've won 19 games now. That's the most they've won over under uh, head coach Julie Wright. They're still, I think, just under 500 for the year. But, you know, they're not great. I think they've, you know, they got outscored 21 to 5 in a weekend series, but they did win one game, which means they got blown out twice. Um, and they've had a couple series like that, I think, the last. Um, they've, they've actually had, like, tournaments where they were outscored significantly, but they won, like, two games. Um, so it's been that kind of season for them. They, we mentioned this on the last show, they've been without Taylor Okada, who started the season just super-duper hot, and I think was hitting over 400, got hurt, right before conference play and hasn't been around for any of it. And the lineup just hasn't been as deep and the pitching um, hasn't held up quite as well against the Big Ten offenses as it had against uh, non-conference. That is very unfortunate. Yeah, it, it's kind of what you expect. I mean, Maryland's non-con this year wasn't great, but it is, it's a pretty young team and assuming it sticks together, which hasn't happened all the time especially in softball a sport where you can transfer and in pretty much every case be immediately eligible but we'll see the transfer rules are so different for all these sports yeah no sense yeah i mean i feel like i've covered maryland long enough that i should know more about which sports are which sports aren't um i know volleyball for one is you're you're immediately eligible wherever you go, and that's why Maryland lost so much after Steve Aird left, because sort of that that roadblock wasn't there for anyone to just be like, you know, explore options elsewhere. I mean, we're getting there now in other sports, but it is taking some time. Yeah. So, are there any other Maryland sports things that you wanted to mention on this show? Not really. I don't. I. Uh, I think we've we've caught most of it. We'll have a lot more on the NFL draft on our next show, which 
depending on what else happens, could be before or after um, the draft. I so if it is like after... crazy substantial happens, it'll be after. If it is after, I'll just say right now that Darnell Savage is still probably going to be the first turp off the board. He's been getting a lot of second-round grades. Um, EB sneaks into first, but there are a lot of really good safeties in this class, so... It's amazing, Probably a, like him and Sean Davis. It's the safeties for Maryland that are the highest-rated position group that they've had in years. It's like it's, yeah. it's so bizarre. It's like of, of all the players that Maryland has produced in recent years, I would have said defensive linemen probably would have been more likely to be taken high in the draft than safeties. But there you go. Sean Davis was a third-round pick. Sean Davis was second. I think. You're right. Okay. Ngakwe was third. I know Ngakwe um, was third. Um, Obviously, yeah. Stefan Diggs was fifth, which was stupid. <laughs> that is that is kind of funny to mention in retrospect. So, well, we Savage should be a day Stephon two guy. Stefan Diggs was, was fifth because he played at Maryland and he had no yes. quarterback. Yep. I mean, in, in any other reasonable football school, he would have been at a second or third round pick at the very least. And now if you're doing redrafts, he would have been a first round pick. But those redrafts are just pointless, silly articles that I never read. Oh, redrafts. I, I would never – I hate reading those articles. They're stupid. I mean, I think it's it's fun to be like, you know, here are the top players from that class. But do they but do it like re-mock draft drafts? Like if like this team had this pick and they should have done this? Because that's a little, you know. And also that, 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 that part's excessive. The cross seasons will be over. At least the regular seasons will be over. We'll have the draft. We'll have the spring game. And Yeah, so my, just to finish the draft stuff, like – Savage should be a day two guy. Um, Trey Watson probably a day three guy. He could he could either go, you know, as early as like the fourth or fifth round, or be undrafted. But I, I don't see him going undrafted at this point. Um, Ty Johnson is a little iffy. There's just this clump of Maryland guys who, you know, all have a couple attributes that make them you know, very appealing to NFL teams, but, you know, whether some of them don't have uh, the production, some of them just weren't as consistent, some of them, you know, might not have all the measurables. Or went to Um, Maryland. And going to Maryland in a lot of those cases doesn't help. But, you know, Derwin Gray and Damian Prince on the lines, on the offensive line, uh, Byron Cowart and Jesse Annabone on defense, and... Johnson in the backfield, like all of those guys, I think will at the very least get a shot in a pro team's camp, whether they're drafted or not. It's kind like of anyone's Maryland guess. players get those looks. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, J.C. Jackson was undrafted and he started on the Patriots this year. He did, and then he got burned in the AFC Championship game, but still ended up playing in the Super Bowl. So there you go. Mm-hmm. I think Darius Kilgo was another one who was uh, UDFA that ended up getting some good looks. After just a lot of hard work, and it's possible. It's obviously there aren't many, you know, Stefan Diggs around, but we'll 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 see. I think most of those terms would get picked up as a UDFA. Unfortunately, there's no alliance of American football to uh, save them anymore. But maybe the XFL will. Oh, oh! By the way, by the way, Michael Dunn um, got signed by the Dolphins. Who he was in the uh, alliance on Birmingham. Oh, he's in the AF. And yeah, he he got signed. By the Dolphins. To be then signed by the New Jersey Extreme or whatever the hell they were called. For now, at least. 
I was too young to know about the, the XFL. I was seven when that league was around, and you were younger. So, I mean, my, my knowledge of the XFL comes from Charlie Ebersol documentaries. But isn't that ironic? He makes the documentary in the XFL that his spring football league flops, and now the XFL is going to have to come in and take – it's going to fail. But, I mean, it's still kind of funny. I yeah. Mean, everyone, like, everyone will watch for a weekend. I'm, in, I'm intrigued to see what the – in a completely different sport, what the Premier League lacrosse does. Because um, they, instead of having teams in places, they're touring. It's in a like, so women's lacrosse league. Yeah, I, I did see that news. Well, this is a this is the men's league, but they might have a, the same thing for the women. Um, is like instead of having teams based in places, it's six teams, and on the men's side, there's one team that has like twenty Maryland guys, legitimately. There is a women's like, professional lacrosse league that has a couple of teams. They'll go to five states to play at five venues. Yeah, it's the same that. kind of thing. Yeah, it's the same kind of thing. Yeah. yeah, so it's kind of like a traveling road show, basically. Which I'm intrigued how, how those two leagues, you know, because um, they mean, just like, announced the that other one. cross is so difficult to get off the ground. I mean, we talk yeah. about a lot of things being regional. Lacrosse is extremely, extremely regional. Yeah. I mean, it sucks that, I mean, all these great – athletes don't really have a chance to do anything professionally unless we're talking about indoor box lacrosse but that's a different sport in many ways yeah i mean most of these you know most of the top you know lacrosse players they end up coaching pretty quickly even if they still play like taylor cummings is a high school coach now yeah i i wish that it wasn't like that because professional lacrosse could be really good but it just it's just too regional sports still i am intrigued just to see and we can probably talk about this maybe on, on a later show or uh, most likely I'll have a feature on it. Um, just how these these traveling leagues do and how you know successful they are. Because I think if they are, you know, for lacrosse, then they could totally work for football. Maybe for football. I'm not sure about that. But we'll see. Anyway, I think that's just about it. It was a lighter show this week because of the news about Cowan and Fernando that we really did have to talk about. Uh, until we speak again, probably after the NFL draft and the spring game and the like. Until then, of course, no turns.